So we talk about macro amenities and micro amenities. Macro amenities can be things like a screened-in porch or a fire pit or a hot tub, a view even. And then the micro amenities, draw this line between micro and macro, but we do little touches like really well-stocked kitchens, waffle makers and blenders, hanging basket chairs, hammocks, toys and puzzles and games for the kids. We do a lot of these like little teepees in the kids' room, kind of theming the kids' room just a little bit. So if the kids are happy, mom and dad are happy. So really just trying to sprinkle like little things that create an experience that you wouldn't get in a cookie cutter hotel motel. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today we have on Colin Tate, who is going to talk to us about short-term rentals. Colin is a serial entrepreneur, owner, host of eight, now nine Airbnb nine, properties, yeah. Airbnb ambassador, short-term rental coach, author of a best-selling book that just hit Amazon and speaker. And he's on a mission to really share his experience, knowledge, and specific tools and softwares and systems he's created to capitalize on this short-term rental opportunity that's in front of us. Short-term rentals are a topic that I get a lot of questions about and I've explored and not explored and then explored again. So I'm super excited to have Colin on the show and just say, Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Well, I've got a good answer for that. So my son makes homemade artesian peanut butter. And so recently he started to make ice cream and mix the peanut butter into the ice cream and it's to die for. I love peanut butter and I love ice cream. So you had me, if you saw the look <laughs> on my face, I was already into it with homemade peanut butter. Does, I'd love to send you, you a pint, but uh, <laughs> it might not keep. <laughs> we'll find a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. Now, when you make it at home, do you throw any toppings into it or is it just the peanut butter and the ice cream? He's got a couple of flavors with the peanut butter. Like there's like the cinnamon sugar one, like the honey vanilla one. And so, yeah, they kind of have their own flavor to them. Wait, he makes more than just peanut butter? He's got all these different flavors too? Well, he makes these different flavors of peanut butter. I love it. Yeah. I don't know your son. I want to be your son's <laughs> friend though. <laughs> all right. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? What do I do? So I am an Airbnb host and through that attracted attention really from friends and family that were interested in what I was doing and sort of seeing some of the success that we were enjoying. And that sort of led me into becoming a coach, you know, to share sort of my specific processes beyond my friend group. I work with a lot of like real estate agents and their clients as a coach. And then coaching, you say a lot of the same things in presentations. And so the presenting and speaking led me to write a book, Host Coach, Blueprints for Creating Financial Freedom Through Short-Term Rental Investing. Nice. Nice. Where did your real estate journey begin? Gosh, I have always been really kind of interested, intrigued, excited about real estate. And so bought my first condo, first home. When I moved out of it, I rented it and bought another condo. And that just never worked for me. The long-term thing, just every, at the end of the year, you know, it was paint and carpet and that kind of stuff. And I just really never saw any real appreciation. And then my son was about four years old and anybody's in this spot you, know, you kind of want to get out of the house and get a new perspective. And so we bought a cabin. Then again, sort of friends wanted to stay there. And then friends of friends wanted to stay there. And so we put it on Airbnb. And that was back in like 
gosh, 2015, 2016. And it immediately did really well. Like all of a sudden it's, you know, booking every weekend, weekdays are filling in. And that started to pop a light over my head, which is there's something here. I've always wondered, where's the deals for our generation? You hear these stories about your grandparents or your parents, and they bought this house, this vacation house. And we missed the boat as a generation on that. And sort of quickly came to light that I kind of think that short-term rentals is that deal, that opportunity for our generation to really create wealth and financial freedom. Absolutely. And that's why I think there's a huge opportunity for it now. You said the cabin, where was the cabin located? Eight of my nine places are in the Shenandoah Valley, which is kind of part of the whole Blue Ridge mountain chain. And that whole Blue Ridge mountain chain, the cabins are all the same. You can go on Airbnb and kind of pick any destination. It's just a nice, you know, it's not a huge mountain, but it has great views and you get all these kind of cabin locations pop that have been there for years and years, mainly as people's like family getaway places that now people are seeing the opportunity to purchase and repurpose for short-term rentals. Yeah. You started with the one. How quickly was it until you bought the second one of them? The impetus there was I sold a company in 2018 and I've never had a W-2. So that's the hence the serial entrepreneur and sort of scratched my head about what my next endeavor was going to be. And I had that one cabin and it was doing really well. I could see the numbers on it. And so I ended up that summer of 2018 buying three cabins. I didn't really set out to buy three. I kind of bought one and then it needed work. And then I looked at this other one and then there was an off-market deal. So just happenstancely, I jumped into it just knowing that the numbers would work and I know that I could invest and make a kind of career out of it, so to speak. Yeah. Momentum brings opportunity too. I think it's funny how when you start moving actions and towards a certain things, you find that momentum actually brings you more opportunities than if you weren't involved in it at all. It really, really does. And you hear people say that all the time, but yeah, I definitely experienced it when I first got a couple of short-term rentals. A lot of, probably half of my properties have come off market just because of that, because somebody knows the second to last place I bought was referred to me because a guy wanted to sell his, his house and was talking to his boss who I had bought something from and he called me. That's a real example of the momentum that happens when you put yourself out there. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I know in your book, you talk about the four pillars of short-term rental investing and I'd like to cover those real quick if yeah. we could. So with that, could you just give us what are the four pillars that you teach in your short-term rental investing? First is find your where. The second is make it pop. The third is price for occupancy. And the fourth is rank for authority. Let's go through those. Find your where. I'm assuming that's about finding the right location. Is that right? Talk us through that one. Yeah. It's about short-term rentals are a little different than just say multifamily, for example, where it doesn't matter where the deal is, so to speak. There's a component of hospitality that comes with short-term rental. And I tell people, find a place that you wouldn't mind spending some time. I recommend that people start a couple of hours, within two, three hours drive from where they live. And there's going to be a place where you would like to go for the weekend. Where would you take a spouse for an anniversary? Where would you like to spend some time with friends? And that's how I ended up in my location. I'm a fly fisherman and you know, I used to go down to the Blue Ridge Mountain areas to fly fish. So find a place that you can be passionate about, that you don't mind spending time because that passion will sort of show in your hospitality. And that's one of the things I think you teach different than a lot of other folks that I've had on the show or that are into this space in general is 
you want to find a place that you're passionate about that you could sell essentially because you've been there and you like the experience. A lot of people tell you, Hey, Google the top 10 places and all this kind of stuff. And while that's great, there's going to be demand there. There's also going to be a lot of folks trying to go in there and be in that market as well. Whereas I've heard you talk about like, Hey, there's a market for everything, right? If you are into a specific thing, so is someone else. And because you found that specific things means someone else found that as well. So I guess the Shenandoah Valley is a perfect example of probably not a lot of folks, if they're not from Blue Ridge or the Virginia area, know where that is. But when you said that, I immediately know where that is just because of how beautiful it is. Yeah. I mean, anywhere, mountains, lakes, rivers, winery areas, the beach to some extent, wherever people like to go, and particularly post-COVID, right? People are not just getting out of their house on the weekends for a long weekend. They're getting out of their house now to change environment. And you can work from home, but it doesn't have to be your home. We didn't talk about this before the show, but I'm actually looking at that right now. I was like, I'm just tired of being in my home. And I kind of want to just go live somewhere else for a month and work from there because I have that ability to do that. And I've always wanted to live in like New York City or Chicago or one of the bigger cities on the East Coast kind of thing. And I'm looking at that right now. So you kind of read my mind there. Two years ago, my wife and I, at the time, son going into fifth grade, picked up and moved to Athens, Greece for a year. Sweet. That's awesome. All right. Make it pop. What does make it pop mean? Make it pop is really about your decorating and decor, cleaning the place up, making it look really crisp and inviting and unique in the interior, pops of color, great decor, and then capping that off, topping on the ice cream is professional HDR photos because your guest is going to buy simply on the photos that you take. Yeah. I think about like a long-term rental, chances are you're going to see it and the tenant is going to see it before they go and move in there. Whereas a short-term rental, they really are just buying on the location and the photos on there. So I think the photo piece is often overlooked and it really does make it pop for other folks when they have nice photos. There's even an SEO component to it, a search optimization component to it, which is When Airbnb decides which listings to show, it wants to show the listings they get clicked on and therefore get booked. So if you're doing a search and you you can see 10 listings, but one of them really has this magnetizing photos, and that's why we say HDR photography, you're going to be just compelled to click on that because it stands out so much sharper than every other photo, even if they are professional photos. I got to ask this question. This is one of the questions I took to make sure I asked you since I've got an expert on the phone here. Some people say the weirder, the better. Meaning when you're doing a Airbnb, you want to make it so weird. Like half the people say, absolutely not. (laughs) But the other half say, oh, heck yes. And are willing to pay whatever they can for to spend a night there. What are your thoughts around that? I guess I have mixed thoughts on that. I don't know about weirder, the better, but I will say uniquer, the better. And there are really unique things. You can be creative with short-term rentals. I know know of listings that are like teepees at a farm, yurts, streamlined campers. That's kind of a good segue to your audience like who might be thinking about getting into this. You might not have to go out and buy a $500,000 home. You might be able to buy a $20,000 lot or even lease a lot, something like that, and put a little pop-up type, I say pop-up, but I have this picture in my mind. There's these little trailers. I always drive past them. And it's just like a little trailer, an Airstream, literally teepees and yurts and things like that, geodesic domes. So not necessarily the weirder, the better, but you can be creative and get in kind of at a low cost with some of those creative options. 
Yeah. Leasing out a lot is something I heard someone do the other day, which I was like, man, that's genius. For $200 a month, you could go lease out somebody's yacht and lot. And there's plenty of people that would love to have a quote unquote camping experience mm-hmm. that they know is safe and secure and all that kind of stuff, but not be too far off the reservation. So I thought I'd like that idea. I've also heard like put in something that's Instagram worthy Airbnb, make yeah. it so like people, a pink wall or something that people would go post a picture and put it on Instagram, TikTok, or Snapchat. That way it drives inorganic traffic too. We bought this property as one of those, that first three I mentioned. And in the backyard, it was a shed, but it had electricity to it. We started thinking, what can we do with it? Do we make like a yoga room or this? And we basically turned it, it's called the garden pump. We re-roofed it and put some linoleum down and put a bar in there and a dartboard and a leather couch that we got off of uh, Facebook. And it's a place, it's a space where you can kind of maybe put the kids to bed. Or even if you're, it's like a little kind of bar area that we just repurposed for a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. The third one is price for occupancy. What does that mean? So price per occupancy refers to keeping your place booked. A lot of people, when they start out, will just pick a base price. We'll just pick a fixed price and say, okay, I think I can get $200 a night, or I think I get $230 a night. And so the first part of that is doing away with the fixed pricing. And we use a tool called Price Labs, which is a third-party dynamic pricing tool. It's very inexpensive. It attaches to your Airbnb account. And it knows the exact number, the amount of demand for any given day for listings in your area. And so if you put in that $200 price, it's going to maybe turn that down a little bit on the weekday and turn it way up on weekends, holidays, special events, so that you're not leaving money on the table. When you do that fixed pricing approach, you're underpricing your weekends and overpricing your weekdays. And so then you end up like, well, hey, I feel good. I've got 60% occupancy. But you can only make money when the place is booked. And back to sort of the SEO components, your booking platform is going to show you higher if you're making more guest revenues, service revenues for them. Yeah. I have a good friend that's into this space. And one of the things he talked about, like when you first put a property online too, you want to make the price so attractive that people book it because they're going to look at bookings. And with Mm -hmm. those bookings, chances are you're going to get some reviews. And with the reviews, automatically you look better and things like that. Is that a strategy you would recommend for somebody that's just listing a property for the first time? Absolutely. I do a lot of near-term discounting. So not just when the property is new. Let's say you have a new property. What I would do is I would go in and discount the, not the next two months, but the upcoming two or three weeks. So to get the booking velocity going. And then I am always, I have rules set up in price labs or I'll do it manually. If I've got an opening next Tuesday and Wednesday night, I'm going to discount that more than normal to get it sold, to get the revenue, and to teach the algorithm that our listing is one that it show high because we can create that booking velocity and revenues for the platform. Got it. One of the things that's around the topic of occupancy, how have you seen your occupancy change since COVID? So specifically what I'm looking for is, are you seeing more shorter term stays, but more frequent or longer term stays and less frequent? Do you have any kind of anecdotal experience around that? The length of stay really hasn't changed in my market. My length of stay is like 2.3, 2.5 days. My occupancy hasn't changed either because I always have priced for occupancy. What has changed since COVID is the average daily rates that we've been able to attract have gone up because there is so much more demand, both weekdays and weekends. Yeah, I think the base rates have gone up probably 20, 30% since COVID. Yeah. 
we're recording this on May 4th and Airbnb just reported earnings this week and they talked about 70% increase in revenue year over year. So I think that speaks to the demand for sure. Definitely. As we were saying, it's not just the weekend hikers now, it's people. I think the world has changed. The way we work and the way we decided to or embraced experience. I think we all kind of reshuffled our priorities a little bit after being stuck at home for a year. 100%. 100%. Well, your last one is rank for authority. I'm assuming that's some of the SEO stuff we've been talking about. Could you help us understand what that means? The idea there is to either manually or through software, I use a software called Rank Breeze that tracks where your listing is being shown in search results. So there could be 300 properties in a market, but keeping an eye on where you're showing up in that listing, in that search result, Airbnb has to decide which properties to show in what order. And so the average user maybe views four properties before making a purchase decision. It's kind of like going on Google. If you're looking for something on Google, how often do you go past the first page? You know, you never usually find an answer in the first couple of clicks, right? Maybe not the first click, maybe you shop two or three clicks. And Airbnb is search engine. It's just like that. So you need to keep an eye on your placement and you can affect your placement through pricing, through optimizing your policies, changing things like your instant booking settings and your cancellation policies, amenities, things like that, to make sure that you're staying sort of in that top 10. And then the other side of that equation, if you're always number one, that's the authority part. Now my listing has some authority and I might be able to start. It's a good signal that you could probably start to raise your prices. And before Rank Breeze, a lot of that was a lot of guesswork. But now we've got this great tool that will track and monitor for us our exact placement on an automated basis. Gotcha. I don't want to breeze over the software stack and I mm-hmm. want to make sure we get a chance to ask that. So you talked Price Labs. I've heard AirDNA as a competitor mm-hmm. that you've talked now, Rental Rent Breeze or Page Breeze. What are the other softwares that you use to kind of run your operations? Yeah. So it really starts with the research and from a research side, AirDNA is the gold standard. And AirDNA, to your audience, if they're looking at, maybe I'm interested in this and I want to be in Nashville, Tennessee, you can subscribe to that market and AirDNA will give you a lot of data. They'll tell you regulatory scores, investability scores. They will tell you average daily rates, average occupancies and seasonality, things like that. And you can subscribe to that for any market. So that's something someone's looking to get started. They know where they think they want to go subscribe to AirDNA and that's how you can start underwriting the deal and kind of understanding what the performance would be. And so AirDNA is the first tool that's kind of a must-have. And then from there, we talked about Price Labs for pricing. The next in line, equally important to the ones above it, is an automated messaging tool. I use Hospitable. And that takes a lot of the work, the day-to-day work out of being a host. So it automates your new booking messages, inquiries, your check-in information. And it also starts with being a five-star host. So when someone books one of my properties instantly with Airbnb, they get a really nice detailed email that comes automatically from Hospitable that says, here's everything that you might need to know about planning your trip. And then five days before the trip, they get another automated message that says, here's how to get there. Here's the house codes. Here's the Wi-Fi codes, all that kind of stuff. So as a host, then you really are only answering the real specific questions. So it takes a lot of the heavy lifting time out of posting. One of the challenges I think about in this space, or I've heard people talk about in this space is they don't want to get calls at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, people locking themselves out and things like that. 
Does Hospitable take those frequently asked questions and help with that as well? Or do you have systems or VAs or anything helping you on the back end with stuff like that? You know what? They do have a, let's say a bot. I don't use it that will answer FAQs like that, but that is a fear. I don't get calls at 11 o'clock at night. When I go to bed, my phone stays in the living room. I don't take it with me and it's never a problem. I might get a message at nine o'clock at night, but I never get midnight messages. And a lot of people, I know hosts that are real clear about that. Like, hey, I'm not reachable during these hours, but I don't even do that. People just don't have that many emergencies. We use digital locks. And I think that solves for the biggest of the emergencies that I lost the keys and locked myself out. Yeah. Let's talk through regulation. I mentioned before the show that I'm in Nashville and Nashville has gone through history of it's legal, it's not legal, it's legal, but only in these certain parts and it's not legal in these parts. And now we're making these parts illegal. It fluctuates so much on the regulations that it's frustrating for me to want to get involved in this space. But I know I live in the most perfect market for Airbnbs because of the tourism traffic that we have. So how are you seeing, thinking about, or coaching through the regulation piece right now? The first thing to take into consideration before making an offer on any property is that regulation can happen at many levels. It can happen state level, the city or county level. It can even take place at the homeowner association level. So make sure before you place an offer, if your intentions are short-term rental, to the property clears all three of those hurdles or boundaries. Additionally, I make my investments in areas that have a history of being used, the property use of rental, short-term rental, as opposed to, I think a lot of the regulation comes from areas that aren't used to that and regulators having to figure out a means to deal with people who have concerns about short-term rentals. So sometimes that comes in the form of completely banning short-term rental use. Sometimes it comes in the form of, well, okay, you need to go through a permitting process, which isn't objectionable, right? Maybe you have to get the house inspected. Maybe you have to pay $100 a year for a business permit because it is commercial activity. Or thirdly, it would be taxed. So in the area I am in, we pay a small occupancy tax. And that's sort of my preferred solution because if you're in an area that already has a hospitality tax collected, it's really unlikely that their regulators, you know, the authorities in that area are going to go from collecting a tax base to outlawing something. Yeah. And that's kind of a similar answer I would give to regulation is I would go to these markets where their whole economy is built off of short-term rentals and tourism. So I know Gatlinburg is two and a half hours away from me. It's a very popular Airbnb short-term rental market right now, probably too popular and oversaturated (laughs) for me to want to get involved in. But one of the things about that town is, I mean, they were doing short-term rentals back in the 60s and 70s. Their whole economy is based off of that. They're not just going to outlaw short-term rentals because that would mean wiping out basically their entire market. So I really like that idea of looking at localized markets that are outside of these cities where you're not competing for long-term rentals, you're competing against hotels. And then at that point, I don't think many counties would want to ban it. And that's a good nuance too, right? It's places where the hotels are strong in inner cities. Is it really the community that's fighting for short-term rental regulation Mm -hmm. or is it maybe the lobbies that really I wouldn't want to be in the hotel business these days? Yep. Yep. So you've talked us through automation. You've talked us through some of the regulation. My next big objection that I hear commonly is this idea of what if somebody comes in and just damages your property? So I know that Airbnb and all the major platforms really, I think, have a million-dollar policy for some types of issues there. But how do you think about managing damage to your property or insurance or just things like that? 
kind of start macro to micro. So absolutely, you need to have insurance on any home, any property, right? And as a short-term rental use becomes a commercial use, so make it real clear to your insurance agent, your broker, that you intend to be using the property for a short-term rental use. So it's a little different than just a renter's insurance for like a long-term lease. So it needs to be written on a commercial policy and have that level of protection. You also, at the platform level, they have their own host air covers, the Airbnb one. And then you also have security deposits. And then finally, I've got 1,800, 1,900 guest reviews. Over that period of time, I had one instance where people kind of threw a party and maybe did like $400 worth of damage. So it's kind of like Uber, right? I like to tell this, remember when Uber first came out and everybody said, that's unsafe. I'm not going to get in somebody's car I don't know. Well, fast forward a few years and you kind of realize that Uber is kind of more friendly. It's more friendly and, and maybe safer than just riding in taxi seems a little scary now, right? And that's due to the community, the sharing economy and shared accountability of a two-sided community where you're writing a review of the host and the host is writing a review of you. Particularly put it in like the younger generation. I know people, back to the Uber example, like are very defending of what their Uber score is, right? As a passenger. And I think, again, particularly for younger generation, has that accountability where they wouldn't want to mess up their Airbnb rating or rankings. Yeah. First of all, Uber rating- Social pressure. My Uber rating is a 4.97 over here. So mm-hmm. almost perfect, pretty darn near perfect. And I do make it a point to rub it in some people's faces who don't have a great Uber rating. But I also think like as a general life rule or principle, I think you should always make rules off, never make a rule off the exception, always make mm-hmm. rules off of the commonality or Love the it. more likely scenario. And I think anytime you get into a situation, there's always going to be the one-off and you should never make a rule or a principle based off of that. So I like that answer there. The last thing we really haven't talked about is your idea of making an experience to your guest and how you make that easy. So that could be things like recommending restaurants, but I know I've heard you talk about different ways you really exceed here. Well, how do you make an experience out of your guests that are coming to stay at your short-term rentals? The overarching goal is to provide something that they don't have at home. So we talk about macro amenities and micro amenities. Macro amenities can be things like a screened-in porch, or a fire pit, or a hot tub, a view even. And then the micro amenities, draw this line between micro and macro, but we do little touches like really well-stocked kitchens, waffle makers, and blenders, hanging basket chairs, hammocks, toys and puzzles and games for the kids. We do a lot of these like little teepees, in the kids' room, kind of theming the kids' room just a little bit. So if the kids are happy, mom and dad are happy. So really just trying to sprinkle with little things that create an experience that you wouldn't get in a cookie-cutter hotel motel. Yeah. And going back to your SEO example, if you have a picture of a teepee and a kid's room and a decked out kid's room, then that's going to get clicks and clicks are automatically going to promote your page and things like that. So I love that. And you're the first person I've heard kind of talk about that full end-to-end experience and making sure that everyone not only has a safe place and a welcoming place and a clean place and all that, but also has little tchotchkes around to make the experience feel more like home. Back to like the hammocks and hanging basket chairs, right? Like you could just envision yourself laying at the beach or in the mountains. I want to get there and I want to lay in that hammock. My wife will book any Airbnb that's got a hanging basket chair. And that's why we have them in all of ours. (laughs) You know, they're a couple hundred bucks and you look at it like, oh, that looks great. It's something I don't have at home and something I can envision myself doing and relaxing. 
Yeah. So quick note, anybody out there, make sure you have a hanging basket chair and you'll make sure you get the Tate family. <laughs> that That's a pro tip. Pro tip. Pro tip. Well, I want to shift this now into our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Recently, I've been encouraged by Gary Keller's A Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Interesting. It's given me a I, lot of framework. I haven't read that, but I've read his one thing, which typically gets recommended. Yeah, this stuff. was just a little bit more focused on real estate. Good stuff. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things that you do every single day. What are some of the things that you do every day? I try to get up and work very intently, kind of like a deep work state from kind of like nine to two, and then take time to spend with my son when he gets home from school. And that's really kind of my approach and result of financial freedom. You know, we can work harder and we can work harder, but what are we working towards, right? So for me, I identified, I want to work towards and help other people achieve financial freedom. So that's not necessarily a dollar amount in the bank. That's where do you feel comfortable getting up and putting the computer down and spending time with your family? So that's kind of a habit that I've tried to uh, really has come to me over the last couple of years since I've been a full-time real estate investor. I love that answer because I think we get so caught up in how many doors do you have? How many assets under management and all this kind of stuff? And you seem like the guy that could definitely have a hundred short-term rentals if you wanted to, but what's your return on your intentionality of your life to the passions and the people that you really care about. So I love that answer. I have a 13-year-old son and he'll go to college in five years. And <laughs> I left this afternoon and he called it noon from school and said he had a lacrosse game that wasn't on the schedule at school. And my wife and I both stood up from our desks and went and watched lacrosse for an hour. Awesome. Awesome. Our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Go as far as you can, and then you'll be able to see further. Who gave you that? That's good. I don't know. I don't know. But really, you know, it really fits for people getting started in real estate. A lot of people think of all the things that might become roadblocks that don't go anywhere. Just go as far as you can, and then you'll be able to see further. I like that. I like that. Our fourth one is, what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Probably have to say my son. He's turning out to be a pretty good guy. Yeah. Is he taking after dad or... Uh, he takes after mom and dad and his own self. And I guess that as a parent is the thing that you're most proud of is when you see something in your kid that isn't really you or your spouse, it's like their own thing. When they say something and analyze something or respond to a situation in a way that's uniquely theirs, that makes you proud. Love it. Well, our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Jesus of Nathers, of course. Okay. I think that's fourth or fifth time we've gotten that answer. Yeah. Have you been to Israel? No, I have not. Okay. Is it on the bucket list? You know, when we were living in Greece for that year, it was on the hit list. Yeah. And we had done Egypt and then we were sort of planning our trip to Israel. And then COVID hit in that March. And so, it kind oh, of, wow. Yeah. Shut down the travel plans. But yeah. Well, fortunately, you're financially free. You can make a trip over there. Right. Well, this has been fantastic. I love learning some of your software tips. I think the four pillars are great, especially the experiences. I remember hearing that on a show that you had done and the stuffed animals and the puzzles and TPs are all fantastic ideas. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about you or be a coaching client at the host coach, where's the best place we can point them? Yeah. Our website is hostcoach.co. The book is host coach and can be found on Amazon. And then our Instagram is at host underscore coach. And we do a lot of fun behind the scenes, like us actually fixing, building, renovating stuff, as well as the normal inspirational quotes and tools 
but behind the scenes stuff's really fun to watch. Perfect. Well, we will make sure to link all of those in the show notes. And then until then, Colin, fantastic getting to know you and I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.